0: A couple Sundays ago, I ran up here to do the announcements, and I caught myself like i did not, I could had- lost my breath I was trying to do announcements, but yeah so but so I'm gonna take a deep breath before I launch, but let's go ahead and pray. Father, thank you for this day uh this cold and rainy day that you've given us to to honor you um would you use this hour um, for your glory and would you use us for your glory as we consider? your salvation, in the ways that you uh, redeem us, and the ways that you call us uh, into your church and call us as a people for yourself. So we appreciate your, your goodness and your mercy to us, and we ask that you would continue to extend your goodness and mercy and illuminate your word for us tonight as we study. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> so I think that, well, I know that only like the announcement for this particular um, this week's study, I put word and sacrament, because we're going to talk about word and the, the word of God and its relationship to the sacraments and everything. But <clears throat> I sat down and started to think about it, and um, I realized that I just had too much to say about justification and sanctification, because we, we have to get that stuff straight before we talk about sacraments, because to make all our categories kind of make sense. Because um, if you don't understand justification and sanctification, the sacraments get very confusing and um, what they do, how they, why they matter, that sort of thing. Uh, the same thing goes with uh, our doctrine of the church, which we'll get to at the end here. But um, tonight we're going to focus on just, justification and sanctification for the most part, and understanding, understanding the difference between those and what they are. Uh, but the first thing to, to talk about is... We often, like, we use this language when we're we're talking just amongst ourselves. Um, We ask people, like, when did you get saved? That sort of question. And there's nothing wrong with that question, and we all know what we mean by that question. But I think that there's some confusion about what salvation is. So salvation is not conversion. Conversion is a part of salvation, but salvation is a whole bunch of other stuff. And so I've got a list here of things of all the benefits purchased by Christ on the cross. Calling, regeneration, faith, conversion, justification, sanctification, perseverance, adoption, union with Christ. And so, when we talk about salvation, glorification is another one of those. When, when we talk about salvation, um, we, we need to be careful whether we mean salvation in terms of justification, salvation in terms of um, the moment of our conversion, or salvation in, in the grand scheme. And so, When I use the word um, salvation, what I'm referring to is... Those are the old ones. yeah, When when I use the word salvation, what I'm referring to is the whole package, the whole thing all goes together. And we're going to drill down and we're going to kind of look at some of those constituent parts. Um, In particular, justification is the sine qua non, the uh, without this, nothing. So um, justification is the kind of kernel, the core of salvation. Justification is what makes us right before God in a formal sense. So, you can have all the sanctification you want, but if you don't have justification, you're not saved. You can have uh, all the regeneration you want, you, but if you don't have justification, you're not saved. Now, um, that's, that's in a formal sense, and so you, kinda, you can kind of hear some of the, the contradiction there. We can't have justification apart from these other things, right? If you're justified, you're going to be sanctified. If you're justified, you're going to be regenerated. If you're justified, you're going to persevere, and you're going to have union with Christ and all these things. But the core is justification. And that's, that's the central thing that, um, that we need for salvation. Um, and, and often, I think that it may be helpful to do this in two big categories, um, where you have the, the imputational elements of salvation and the infusional elements of salvation. And justification is the imputational element of salvation, right? And so we're going to talk about the difference between these two. Um, But, well, actually, let's just go ahead and look here. What I've got printed, um, most of this, I'm I'm kind of leaning on my Reformed bona fides here, Um, most of this is straight from the larger catechism. And so the definitions that we're using um, and everything, this is straight from the Westminster larger catechism. So I can't be accused of being outside of the Confession or anything. This is is what it says. So... Justification. What is justification? Justification is an act of God's free grace unto sinners, in which he pardoneth all their sins, accepteth, accepteth, that's a hard word to say, accepteth and accounteth their persons righteous in his sight, not for anything wrought in them or done by them, but only for the perfect obedience and full satisfaction of Christ, by God imputed to them and received by faith alone. So, by the way, I, I'm using the traditional language. The EPC and our, our Constitution uses a tr- uses a modern language one. Um, there's nothing wrong with that one, uh, but I, I actually find that the traditional language tends to be a little bit a little bit clearer. They use they have some better word choice, I think. And so you just have to get over the accepteths and accounteths. Um, but so key words to note here. Um, justification is an act of God's grace. An act of God's grace. Um, that'll be distinguished when we get a sanctification from a work of God's grace. And we'll talk about that in more detail in a second. In which he pardons sins, accepts and accounts a person righteous in his sight, not for anything wrought in them or done by them, but only for the perfect obedience and full satisfaction of Christ. Another key word here, by God imputed to them. Imputed to them and received by faith alone. That's another key phrase. So key things it's an act of god 's grace where Christ's righteousness is imputed to us and it's received by faith alone so we're going to spend some time um, in a couple of key passages on this but um, and we'll see kind of how this all works out so let's let's start by going to Romans three um, Romans the the first half of Romans is all dedicated to this um, a discussion of this particular concept of justification, and in particular, in particular Romans 3.21-4.12. Uh, through 412. <clears throat> So Paul has just gone through this whole explanation of how we're all sinners. So chapter 1, Gentiles are sinners. Chapter 2, Jews are sinners. Chapter 3, we're all sinners. And so at the end of chapter 3, after kind of going through all this, um, we're, in, we're in the depths of despair, and this is what he says in, chapter, in uh, verse 21. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God, through faith in Jesus Christ, for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift. Through redemption, that is, in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation... but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God a God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles also? Yes, of the Gentiles also, since God is one, who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? Faith by no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. And so, I'll admit, I I find it difficult to understand how anybody... Um, could read this passage and come to a works-based salvation. Paul is absolutely excluding the, the, the idea that justification can be achieved by works at all. And we'll talk about James 2. James 2 is another thorny issue. But um, here it is very clear that the righteousness of God is received through faith so that uh, God can be the just and the justifier. And what he means by that is God is the righteousness, God is the justice that justifies us. But let's continue, starting chapter 4. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather according to the flesh? So this is a legitimate question for a Jewish person. If righteousness is not by the law, if the law doesn't contribute to our justice, to our justification before God, what was Abraham all about? Verse 2, for if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God... Um, we use the language of an imputation that's kind of a a word that we don't really use very much Uh, the most common use in the modern day is in accounting I believe is that accurate for my banker in the room Um, so that's not a term that I use just in my daily life but what's what's happening here um, and the word that Paul is using in in chapter 4 here is count right so the belief of Abraham is counted to him as righteousness um uh, blessed is the man who, whom the Lord will not count his sin. So um, there is some accounting language. There is, it's, it's kind of a legal transaction, right? So um, if God counts our sins against us, he is judging us. But if he does not count our sins against us, he's forgiving us. And so what he's saying is that if we believe, if we have faith in Christ, that that faith is counted to us, as righteousness, that it's applied to us as if we were perfectly obedient to the law, and that's through the work of Jesus. Pick up in verse 9. Is this blessing, then, only for the circumcised, or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How, then, was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without circumcision, without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them as well. To make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. Right? So now circumcision is not something... Um, And this is kind of implicit here when he talks about a sign of righteousness. So circumcision is a sacrament of the Old Covenant. We talked about that last week a little bit. And so here he's excluding a sacramental justification. The justification could be by this sign applied to you. No, justification is by faith alone, by the belief that Abraham had, not by this outward sign of his belief, the circumcision. And so Paul makes it very clear and um, there's almost, you know, I can almost can't say anything uh, in addition to this because um, it's very clear for, for Paul that salvation that justification is by grace through faith it's a gift of God we receive it by faith and there's nothing that our works can do to contribute to that no works of the law, now one thing to keep in mind with Paul is normally when he refers to works of the law he's, he's usually talking about the Mosaic law, now that the Mosaic Law includes the moral law, and certainly we're held to that. Um, but I won't, I won't go too, too deep into that, but that's something to keep in mind. When he, when he talks about the law, the works of the law, he's talking about Mosaic Law. Um, but even that, even this perfect Mosaic Law that God gives, it's not enough. It's, you, you can't do anything of that law that would contribute to your salvation. The only thing that, that contributes to your salvation that, that allows you to receive the justification of God is faith. Um, now, we were talking about this earlier, um, before some of you guys got in here. But the, there are people who would say that the Jews were saved by a different mechanism before Christ. And some would even say that they're just saved by a different mechanism now. But here you see Abraham, he's not justified by works of the law. He's not justified by what he does um, through the Mosaic Law. He's justified by his faith in Jesus, ultimately, but by his faith in God. And the righteousness that he has is, is by faith. By faith, ultimately. And so, um, nothing we do contributes to that um, justification. Uh, we'll talk about James 2 in a second. Let's go ahead and flip to, um, you can look at Galatians 2. It's, it's some more of the same uh, stuff that Paul is saying. It's, you know, I recommend you read it, but... Um, let's go ahead and go to Titus, Titus 3. <clears throat> so, remember, this is... the Part of what we're, the reason we're doing this justification, sanctification stuff is it's prep work for sacraments next week. So um, this is important for that. But Titus 3, um, starting in verse 4. But when the goodness and loving kindness or covenant faithfulness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness. He did not save us because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy. By the washing of regeneration, which is a reference to baptism, by the way. We'll talk about that next week. And renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So again, he's referring to the work of the Holy Spirit in our justification. So it's not just the Father, the Holy Spirit, the whole Trinity is at work in justification. Justification. But again, it's not by works done by us in righteousness, although we can do works in righteousness, but that doesn't save us. That doesn't justify us. Justification is by faith alone. Now, um, if you bring that up to a Roman Catholic, if you say justification is by faith alone, they will tell you the only place that the words faith alone appear in the Bible are in James 2. And they are correct. So let's flip to James 2. And um, a Roman Catholic will tell you, see, this proves that your doctrine of justification by faith alone is false. And so I want to suggest a way to deal with this. Um, There's actually different ways to deal with this, but um, there's kind of some standard reformed approaches to it that I think are sufficient for addressing the issue. So, James 2. Um, Let's go ahead and start in verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works, You want to be shown, you foolish foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered his up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. So the scripture was fulfilled that said, Abraham believed, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. Key verse here. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. So, a Roman Catholic, if you, if you bring this up to them, will say, see, the only place that it says we're justified, the only place that mentions faith alone, says that we are justified not by faith alone. And you should say, that's a good point, let's talk about it. So let's, let's look at the context here. Um, one way that people have handled this before, and I don't think this is the best way, but one way that people have handled this before is to say, well, we're, we're, the first thing that happens is that we're justified by faith, right? That's the first step, and that's all good and, and fine, but later on, our works contribute, and we have a final justification where our works um, have some value to God. Um, that's one way to read it. I don't think that's heretical necessarily, although some people would say that it is. Uh, but I think that's that's wrong-headed and uh, um, not, not faithful to what's going on in Romans, not faithful to what's going on in Galatians. So if we want to take these together, um, I think Paul is pretty clear that works are excluded from justification. Um, another way to look at it, and I think this is the better way to look at it, is this idea that that works are evidence of our faith in this life, okay? So God can see your heart. God doesn't need your works to prove that you're justified. Um, but maybe this is a helpful illustration. Let's, let's imagine a child, right? And this, it's a, a little girl. And her, her dad stands in the pool. And he says jump, it's going to be okay. Now, when the little girl um, jumps, that is evidence of her trust in him. Right? If I say that I trust, if the little girl says, I trust you, Dad, I trust you, Daddy, but she never jumps, does she really trust him? I think not right? Um, Trust compels action. Faith compels action. And real trust is not alone. And so the the kind of, the the standard way of saying this is that we are justified by faith alone, but we are justified by a faith that is never alone. And so a faith, and this is what he says here in, in verse 17, a faith that is not accompanied by the action that that is compelled by that faith is not real faith. And um, he's, he's kind of granting that in a little a little bit that like or maybe you have a kind of faith, but justifying faith, faith that actually justifies and, and saves and gives you the righteousness of Christ is faith that acts, faith that um, trusts and does in accordance with that trust, right? And so. Our works contribute nothing to our justification, but we're not justified by faith alone in the sense that it's a faith that is by itself. Um, we're justified by faith alone and a faith that actually does things. And so, uh, I'm blanking on where this verse is, maybe somebody can tell me, but um, another, in another verse, Paul says that we're saved by faith working through love. Right? Does anybody remember where that is? It's either in I want to say it's either in 1 Corinthians or Galatians, but that's kind of a a big spread of of text there. But um, faith working through love. So um, it's it's faith that is active, faith that is living, faith that trusts in God. So the works don't contribute anything to justification, but a a, a faith that that does not work, a faith without works, is dead. And so we should be totally comfortable using the language of James. James is biblical, although... There were some of the Reformation, most famously Martin Luther, who thought that James was not canonical because it, it's so hard to wrap your head around this, this paradox of, of how our faith and our works relate. Um, but I, I think that the mistake would be to, to say, well, this is the clear passage. So we let Scripture interpret Scripture. And so the Roman Catholic would say, this passage is very clear, but Paul's passage in Romans 3 and 4 is not very clear. And so we need the, the magisterium to tell us how works fit into that. Um, But I would say, no, they're both clear. We have to figure out how they work together. We can't um, privilege one over the other. We have to take all of those texts together. And another way to look at this, um, and this is the way that John Calvin kind of read this text, is that the instrumental cause of our justification is faith. And so that's standard reform language. The instrumental cause of our justification is faith. So... um, if you think about if if I had a screw and a screwdriver and I screwed it into a board, there's a sense in which I screwed into the board. So there's a sense in which God saves us, God justifies us. But the screwdriver is the instrumental means. So it's the way that God, it's the instrument by which God saves us. Um, and so um, Calvin calls the the works that we do inferior causes. So they're not the screwdriver, but um it would be like uh, maybe the screw, or, you know, it's, it's something that's not immediately, um, a, an immediate cause of, of uh, justification. So um, they can contribute somehow, but, like, they, they don't contribute in the sense that they added anything of value to our justification. So um, are there questions at this point? Because that's a very complicated and thorny thing. <clears throat> But, and we'll get to this in a second, the key word for justification is imputation, that our faith is credited to us as righteousness. So what is sanctification? Again, from the larger catechism. Sanctification is a work, key word is a work of God's grace. So not a work of our power, of our um, abilities, a work of God's grace. Whereby they whom God hath before the foundation of the world chosen to be holy are in time through the powerful operation of his spirit applying the death and resurrection of Christ unto them renewed in their whole man after the image of God having the seeds of repentance unto life and I would circle that, the seeds of repentance and all other saving graces put into their hearts and those graces so stirred up and increased and strengthened as that they more and more die unto sin and rise into newness of life. And so, you see, in justification, nothing really happens to you in justification. God is making a legal declaration. It's an act of God. Sanctification is a work of God where he's working something in you. And so, all these graces, it says, are put into our hearts. And so, in justification, your heart um, isn't affected, right? Um, Sanctification is where your heart is affected and your heart is being renewed. Justification is a legal declaration. Sanctification is an infusion of grace into us. That's the language of the Confession. Uh, So we'll look at a few passages here. Um, Let's start by flipping back to Romans. Romans chapter 6. And Romans chapter 6 indicates a big turn in the book of Romans. Um, He goes through how we're justified by faith um, and how that all fits together. And then these natural questions come up for his, his readers. If we're saved by grace, if we're saved by faith, why not just sin? And he points to sanctification as the answer. So let's go to um, chapter 6, start again, verse 20. So he's just talked about how we're, there's, there's two domains. You can either be a slave to sin or a slave to righteousness. And this is what he says For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. And the end in terms of the telos, where where it's going, right? So if you're a slave to sin, the, the direction you're going is into death. But now that you've been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit that you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. And so uh, the works, the, the fruit that we get out of um, union with Jesus, the fruit that we get out of justification, the fruit that we get out of being under the domain of God, under um, his headship and under his rule, is sanctification that leads to eternal life. So the end of the way of death is death, and the end of the way of sanctification is life. And so sanctification is preparing us and driving us toward eternal life. That's what sanctification is doing. But let's go ahead and flip to just a few pages to 1 Corinthians. So 1 Corinthians, in a lot of ways, one of the main themes of 1 Corinthians is sanctification. So let's look at 1 Corinthians uh, 1.1. It says, Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle, of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God that is in Corinth, in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So, uh, key words there: sanctified. It says that's that's past tense in English. Um, it's an aorist tense in, in Greek. That's a different discussion, but. Um, point is, it's already done. Sanctified in the past. Now, that's kind of backwards from, from what's happening in Romans 6, right? Sanctification is the fruit of repentance, right? It's, it leads us to eternal life. So what's going on there? There's, there's the past tense thing and the present tense thing. And he also calls them saints together, which saints and sanctified, those are related words, they both mean holy. And so the word that I've used with uh, the youth teaching them this concept is, uh, sanctification is holification, we're being made holy. But it also says here that we're also we're declared holy in some sense. And so we'll work that out in a second. But um, Jump ahead uh, to verse 30. <clears throat> and because of him, because of God, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So that, it, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. So there's a sense in which our sanctification is actually Jesus' sanctification. That's a, and that's, again, one of the themes that's running through Corinthians. Again, let's uh, jump to chapter 6, verse 11. He's talking about um, how the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. And he says, uh, chapter 6, verse 11, And such were some of you, but you were washed, that's another reference to baptism, Um, And that's actually, in the Greek that's a um, middle imperative, or a middle um, verb, so the idea is that you washed yourselves, that's a, um, again we'll talk about that next week when we'll talk about sacraments, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So, there's again this past tense thing, you were sanctified, already sanctified, Now, finally, let's jump to Colossians. I'm sorry, the Bible is not nearly as bad this week, but we are doing a little bit of jumping. <clears throat> Colossians chapter 1, verse, uh, let's start in verse 21. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless. And above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. So remember, sanctification, holiness, all the same idea. Most of the time in Greek it's all the same word with different forms. But you're reconciled to God in order that you might be presented holy before God on the last day, and you're called to persevere for that end. And so we've got the past tense thing going on in Corinthians, we've got the present tense thing going on in Romans, and then we have a future tense thing going on in Colossians. And so sanctification is past, present, and future. Now, we'll unpack that more in a minute, but um, this will all become clear as we look at this uh, third question. Wherein do justification and sanctification differ? So let's read uh, question 77 here of the larger catechism. Although sanctification be inseparably joined with justification. So you can't have one without the other. They go together. Yet they differ. In that God in justification imputeth the righteousness of Christ. And sanctification his spirit infuseth or infuses grace. And enables to the exercise thereof. In the former in justification sin is pardoned. and the other in sanctification it is subdued. The one, justification, doth equally free all believers from the revenging wrath of God, and that perfectly in this life. Justification works perfectly, that they never fall into condemnation. The other, sanctification, is neither equal in all, nor in this life perfect in any, but growing up to perfection. So you see um, some key differences here. If you jump ahead a little bit, I've got a list. Justification is imputation. Sanctification is infusion. So grace is imputed to you and justification, infused in sanctification. Justification pardons your sin judicially. Sanctification tames the sin in your life. And so one way that people have put it is that God frees us from the penalty and power of sin. Justification frees us from the the wrath of God and the penalty for sin. And sanctification tames sin in us and frees us from the power of sin in our lives. Justification is unchanging, and sanctification is progressive. And so you can see that they're of a very different character. Now I've got a couple different charts for you here. Charts is a strong word. They're they're not that uh, pretty there. But uh, most people think of justification, sanctification, and glorification, which we'll talk about in detail, as a progressive thing. That we're justified, we get justified, and then we start doing the sanctification thing and then we're glorified at the end of time. Um, And and this makes justification synonymous with conversion, which it's not. Those are different things. Biblically, uh, I've already shown this to you a little bit, these terms are not used to represent sequential action, but they are temporal, they're atemporal realities that take shape in time. So that's not atemporal, atemporal realities, it's one word, realities that take shape in time. So... You've got to be careful with this language a little bit, but we have an initial justification, an applied justification, and a final justification. But it's all one justification, right? So God providentially declares our justification before all time, before creation, once for all on the basis of Christ's righteousness, and he applies that justification to us over and over again. It's the same justification, but it's applied to us um, at our conversion. It's applied to us each Sunday when we worship, when we confess our sins. The same justification is applied to us. Nothing new is added to it, and finally, that same justification when we come before God, the same declaration that he made at our conversion, the same declaration that he made before all times, the same declaration that he'll make um, when we come before him at the judgment seat, that we are righteous in Christ. And so these are not, when I've got initial, applied, and final, I don't mean by that that these are different justifications. This is the same justification applied to us over and over again and this is, we'll talk about this more when we talk about sacraments this is one of the big issues that the Reformation had with um, Roman Catholic theologies of baptism right? so in the medieval Roman Catholic church you were baptized and that justified you but Roman Catholics believe they believed then and they still believe now there's some differences between medieval Roman Catholicism and modern Roman Catholicism but this isn't one of them that baptism and justification is the same thing here, infuses righteousness, infuses grace in you. And so it's a confusion of justification and sanctification. And so, if you were a, if you lived in 1450, you know, Switzerland or whatever, um, you would be baptized when you were an infant, and then you would have to repeatedly come before God to get more righteousness, to get more justification, to get more um, salvation, right? So, if you, you're baptized when you're an infant that watches you from original sin and all past sin, but then the next time you sin, the next time you commit particularly a mortal sin, you go to a priest and you confess and he gives you penance and you're supposed to do your penance to be uh, cleaned again. And So it's a continual um, thing. And, and the reformers actually said your, your doctrine of baptism isn't strong enough because the grace of baptism, the grace that God gives us um, to free us from sin isn't just a um, a momentary thing in history. It's something that God has declared from all time. And we'll, we'll get to the relationship there with baptism next week. But justification is, an, is a for all time, once for all, never-ending declaration of our righteousness before God. Sanctification again has a past, present, future. We have an initial sanctification, progressive sanctification, and a final sanctification or a glorification. And so Um, one of the, uh, I told you to circle this in your um, larger catechism question 75, one of the things that sanctification does is gives us um, seeds of repentance unto life. Can you be saved without repentance? No. And so sanctification actually begins in the life of the believer before justification is initially applied. And so, which that blows up the whole sequential thing where justification comes first, because we have to be sanctified in order to have the seeds of repentance and life given to us in order that we can be justified before God. And that grows in us until ultimately we are perfected before God and made perfectly holy. So the summary I got there for you, God providentially declares our justification before all time, once for all, on the basis of Christ's righteousness, and subsequently applies that same justification to us throughout our lives as we receive it by faith in Jesus. Sanctification and sanctification, the Holy Spirit nurtures us in the Christian life from the seeds of repentance so that we grow up into the glorified end that God calls us to, which is eternal life. And so, very different characters. One is declarative, one is judicial, one is ultimate. Um, Sanctification, on the other hand, is infusional. It's something that God uh, gives us a little bit of and it grows up in us as the Holy Spirit nurtures it. so any questions about justification sanctification the difference between those yes in a sense now the the way that um, I'll re- repeat that question is does justification begin before the foundation of the world is that and the answer is yes and no. So, um, yes, in the sense that God has prepared that and God has declared that, um, in a in a corporate sense, He's declared that. But it has to be applied to you, right? So applied to you directly. And the way that we apprehend that and receive that is by faith. And so your faith comes in time. Your faith comes um, in time. So there's there's a a God vision and a human vision aspect of that. So. From God's perspective, you know He's above time; He's not bound by time, and all of all of history sits before Him like He's looking at a painting. Right? Um, that's probably not exactly like that, but <laughs> but um, so for God, there's no difference between day one of creation and today and 1550 and 2150. Like there, it's all happening. You know, God is above all that. Right? We are we're bound by time, so God's above all that, and His His declaration of justification happens outside of creation. But our experience of that is that he applies it at a moment in our lives as a a first um, experience. Does that make sense? Any other uh, questions on that? Right, when when you sin, um, you need the same justification that you had on the first day, right? Um, And so that's that's the comfort that we have in in the gospel is that um, the same justification that the same declaration that God made uh, of us as righteous still applies to us. And when we come confess our sins before God, it's not like uh, we're, we're being saved again. No, He's just being faithful to his promises to us, that, that he has declared us righteous. And so uh, there's a sense in which we don't even really, you know, we ask for forgiveness, but what the, God's answer to that is, you are forgiven. That's a reality. Um, it's not that um, you need new forgiveness, although it's a good and right to ask for forgiveness, but um, you don't need new forgiveness, it's, it's complete and full. And so sin doesn't lead us to despair, and, and this is the problem with the Roman Catholic system, and this is the problem that Martin Luther had. Um, there's no assurance. There's no hope. Because um, the way that uh, the Roman Catholic system works, still works the same way today, is if you commit a mortal sin and you die before you get to confession, you're going to hell. And so um, there's, there's no hope unless you can you know, do all these things and, and keep up and keep track of, of your penance and, and make sure that you're doing all these things. Um, now, most modern Roman Catholics will kind of soften that a little bit and say, well, you know, we don't really know. And um, Lots of Roman Catholics nowadays are kind of what they call you know, hopeful universalists, so they, you know, maybe possibly everybody will go to heaven, we don't know. Um, but that's, that's kind of all kind of some left-leaning, mushy stuff that came out of the 60s and 70s. But on the books, official Catholic, Roman Catholic teaching is that um, mortal sins are, are damning. And... Um, but we have the, the reality, and this is all biblical, that um, s- God has taken care of sin. And the same promise that he made to us um, at the very beginning, when we first uh, came to faith, is the same problems, promise that we have for the rest of our lives. So, well, just said he sees all time, so he Right. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. Because God has all yeah. Mm-hmm. So, that's what mm-hmm. <laughs> is, is that, of way, so of Yeah. <laughs> 8, uh, uh, yeah. And, and that's the basis of all teaching. All mm. that is. Yeah, and in Romans 8, also, you get the famous... Um, you have the famous chain. Um, so if you go to Romans 8, um, starting in 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he, whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified and those whom he justified, he also glorified. And notice the glorification is in the past tense. Because for God, that's all one act. God says, I'm going to save you. He's outside of time. and um, Yeah, what verse did you just cite that I was... I was uh, it's later on. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yes, but nothing can separate us from the love of God because God has declared before all time that we would persevere and um, yeah and that's, that's this whole doctrine of salvation is built on that reality that um, God is so big and so great that he can actually do this that it's not relying on us and our power and our success and whatever else we can, we can do it's dependent on God so any other final thoughts, questions, comments <clears throat> Well, we're going to stop there. I'll, the church stuff is actually pretty short, so um, you can you can glance at that if you want to. But we'll do that next week as a kind of precursor as we dive into the sacraments. So, um, but let's pray. and We can with the, the choir. I can hear them getting ready to come in here. So, Father, we thank you for your word uh, and we thank you for how awesome you are. That uh, you're so powerful and so mighty that you would. Uh, just by speaking, create, you know, we, we speak in mere words and we babble like babies, but uh, when you speak, the sun and the moon and the stars obey, and when you speak, your word is so powerful that our sins are removed and that we're justified before you, and, and it's at your word that we have salvation and hope, and we ask that you would teach us to rely on your word and to uh, rest in the, in, in the confidence and the hope of your salvation, that um, the work of your Son is complete and that the work of your Son is sufficient to cover all of our sins and all of our debts and redeem us from all unrighteousness. that you remind, of, remind us of that each day and teach us to live in a way that shows that forth, to live in a way um, that honors that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're done. <laughs>